You're listening to The Comics Hall with Amy and Paul, Sideshow's very own comic book podcast. Join us as we celebrate New Comic Book Day every week and discuss the latest releases, the biggest announcements, and more from your favorite publishers. What's in your comics hall? Hey, everybody. I'm Amy. And I'm Paul. Wow. And welcome back to the Comics Hall. This week we're covering all of the releases for Wednesday, February 10th. We are, of course, joined by our fabulous moderator. You want to introduce Hi. yourself? I'm Jasmine. Fabulous. We're live on Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, and the Let Your Geek Side Show Facebook group, YouTube. I've probably forgotten something because we're live everywhere and I'm here to talk to you in the chats. If you're looking for it, we are live there. But if you are listening on our podcast feed, hello, happy Thursday. But we are covering all of the releases from Wednesday, uh, and it is 4 p.m. Pacific. And I think we've got so much to jump into today. It's been a crazy news week, some really cool stuff coming up from some really cool creators. Uh, so without further ado, let's get into the news. So let's do it. Off the top, this is really cool. Uh, something I think we should highlight more often when comic books get their own trailers. Yes, we all get excited about Super Bowl commercials and Super Bowl spots, but uh, Marvel has released an animated trailer for artist Peach Momoko's Marvel Interior debut. Remember, that'll be her first time to be the inside of a book rather than just the beautiful covers uh, for Demon Day's X-Men. Uh, this beautiful Japanese horror story will be a five-part series featuring fan-favorite heroes reimagined as figures from Japanese folklore. And with some of the details that they've released about the series, we know that Wolverine, Psylocke, and Venom, as well as other characters, will become samurai, oni, yokai, and yojimbo figures. So this is going to be really cool for people who like the blending of uh, pop culture and Japanese culture. Beautiful trailer in Momoko's almost watercolor, almost sumi ink type uh, mm -hmm. style. Just a really cool animated trailer. Uh, and you can check out uh, that on Marvel's website. And Demon Day's X-Men number one will hit the stands in March. It is available for pre-order right now. So you can subscribe to that at your local store if you are interested, especially after you check out that beautiful trailer. Yes, please do. So bouncing over to DC. Earlier this week, director Ava DuVernay confirmed that the CW has ordered a pilot for her series centered on the DC Comics character, Naomi McDuffie. Naomi was created in 2019 by Brian Michael Bendis, David Walker, and the ever-wonderful and ever-loved on the show, Jamal Campbell. And now the character will star in her own live-action series, which will follow a teen girl's journey from her small northwestern town to the heights of the multiverse. Um, and I think, you know, if you can survive Bemidji... Uh, Minnesota, you can survive anywhere in the multiverse, I imagine. It's freezing there. <laughs> um, so there is no premiere date right now for Naomi on the CW, but when we know, you'll know. And we know, you know, the CW does a great job of introducing characters and such. Um, so we are very, very excited for that. Yeah, and that is that is one of the fastest turnaround times for a Oof. character getting her own television series. I mean, I think Naomi and Yara Flora are right up there. Boom. Almost straight to the CW, which is pretty exciting. Uh, next up, We've got Chip Zdarsky taking on a new uh, DC comic book team. Ooh. This week in his newsletter, among other places, Chip Zdarsky announced that he will be writing a digital-first Justice League miniseries called Justice League Last Ride. If you Also, if you haven't subscribed to Chip Zdarsky's newsletter, you should. There's a lot of intertextuality with Kieran Gillen's newsletter and sometimes Jamie McKelvey's. So <laughs> if, you, if you want to get those comic news uh, updates, subscribe to the creator's newsletters. Um, Miguel Men uh, Mendonca and Enrica Aaron Un Angiolini, excuse me, uh, will provide the art and colors for the series, and it will show a broken Justice League reuniting to prevent the end of the world. Wah, wah. Uh, Justice wah. League Last Ride will be broken into 16 weekly digital chapters that will launch beginning on April 14th, and those will come out weekly sequentially. But uh, DC will start a print uh, publishing of eight print issues so it will be 16 chapters and then eight print issues uh launching may 11th and i believe the online chapters will be 99 cents for 10 pages and they'll be released in 10 page bunches uh but the print issues will be 3.99 for 32 pages yeah i i know th this is something that probably dc is going to be doing more of now with dc universe infinite being sort of their you know, one marketplace for those kinds of stories. And um, the DCs, I believe it's at World's End, which was the digital only. That's Tom Taylor's original, you know, DC's world is sort of, I think, spearheading a lot of the way for a lot of these stories. It really worked. And so clearly uh, an up and coming young buck named Chips at Arcees is going to be uh, taking advantage of it. 
but fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, in our uh, last uh, bit of news here, during the Super Bowl, Disney debuted the trailer for the upcoming Marvel Disney Plus series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. The spot revealed a March 19th release for the premiere date of the six episode miniseries. So you're not going to have to wait too long after WandaVision to get your fix there. Um, if you are going to be like all three of us on the comics, all four, I count Chris. Amy forgets to leave people out. I constantly, you know, she, I, I, Chris, it's counting you as well, sir. So uh, we're all very, very excited about WandaVision. And yeah, that turnaround is really nice, I think, to kind of keep us all on the Marvel train. So that's March 19th on Disney+. Plus. We're very, Oh, I I think very excited is an understatement. <laughs> yeah, seriously, because between nine episodes of WandaVision, I want to say, and then six right. episodes of this, this will be like, uh, it'll be like a couple solid months of Marvel content. And mm-hmm. the Falcon and Winter Soldier episodes, I believe, are closer to an hour uh, in oh, good. format because I've, I've heard it billed as a six hour movie. So we'll see how that goes. But either way, you're going to get lots of Marvel content coming to a screen near you but coming to the screen right in front of you right now uh if you are watching live uh we do have our panel of the week showdown we took a little bit of an unconventional approach uh sometimes we like to set parameters on ourselves so this week Mm -hmm. our theme was vampire horde specifically a panel that featured multiple vampires uh now the definition of a horde is flexible but uh (laughs) had to have at least two if not more uh vampires in the shot so we do have two incredible panels uh surprisingly neither of them from buffy or uh (laughs) you know we both we both kind of like are you are you gonna go for it but um we we do have two great panels so let's see uh chris can we pull up panel number one so the person who picked it can explain themselves uh all right explain yourself explain myself (laughs) uh so this is from vampire the masquerade winter's teeth which is a recent series by vault comics uh this is the fourth issue specifically uh written by tim seeley with art by devmalia promenick and colors by addison duke and now i was hoping to maybe catch the nostalgia of some vampire the masquerade players uh this is specifically the head of the caramilla calling a blood hunt on cecily bain the lead character and so we do see uh he's kind of a hemomancer type uh he can he can manipulate blood uh but he is on the phone calling for a blood hunt which means that every vampire in the twin cities area has full right to to track down and kill our main character and so i thought that was really cool and you do see all of the vampires behind him who were totally ready for this they've got their knives their weapons everything ready to go and they've all got their shiny eyes and fangs uh ready for the blood hunt so that is my panel yeah also hemomancer that's a great word. I'm not 100% sure if that <laughs> is the terminology within the game lore, but that's what I am calling it. <laughs> hey, you know, at this point, Amy, you can do what you want. I'm not going to tell you no. I don't dare. Thank you. As soon as I do that, I'm off the show. So, um, Chris, <laughs> if we could bring up my panel, please. It is from American Vampire number one. Um, I'm sure at least some of you have heard of it. It's by vertigo pour one out um but now dc comics so this is american vampire number one written by scott snyder and stephen king uh the end sort of drops off later in the series but stephen king did write some backup stories because he really really loved this idea and art um and colors in this particular um panel here by Raphael albuquerque so we're seeing a and again a it is a horde because it's at least four vampires, which I don't know if that is. There's, there's been some debate as to where the fourth one is. Yeah, two vampire vampires is a couple. Three is a party, and four is a horde. Amy, I sent <laughs> I sent you the notes. You don't uh, see. Why do I write show notes if you're not going to read them? Um, yes, and 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 it is attacking a, uh, an unnamed character. Um, at this particular moment, I'm also not going to spoil too much of it because this is actually a pretty like big scene. I probably shouldn't have picked this one, but um, yeah, American Vampire number one was my panel. And all right, and you guys, the voted. winner of Vampire Horde panel of the week is it's me. All right, American Vampire. Thank you. Congratulations, Thank you. guys. Um, yeah, you know, Jazz had made a, an interesting comment saying that she thought this one might be Amy and ours were reversed. So I, I, I can kind of see that. It's, it's very stylistic, but I think if she would have looked at the names of who was in it, like, I'm a bit of a Scott Snyder fan. Yeah, and I've been on a Tim Seeley kick recently. So, yeah. you know, it, 
we pick what we know, but we had a we had a wealth of vampires we could have chosen from. I almost yeah. went back into Buffy, and then it was, mm-hmm. a, do I go Boom Studios? Do I go Dark Horse? And then it was like, yep. wait a sec, Jason Aaron just brought out every vampire in the Marvel Universe a couple yep. months ago for the Avengers. So That's where I thought Avi was going to go, <laughs> is Avengers. And Not then that. I was real close to doing Philadelphia. Because um, ah. Philadelphia's got some real scary stuff, but I didn't do it because it's real hard. There's not a lot of hordes of vampires, just very terrifying individual vampires. So, um, but yes, thank you all for voting in the Let Your Geeks Out Show Facebook group and on Instagram. It was funny. It, it was a bit of a pull away a little bit on in the Let Your Geeks Out Show Facebook group, but Amy won on Instagram. So all right. we have no idea. We have no idea what you guys <laughs> like. As much as we tried to guess, we have no clue. Um, so again, thank you guys. We put that up every week um, on Tuesday. So we've got you know a good window there um, that goes up in the Let Your Geek Side Show Facebook group, which you can join at side.show forward slash um, geek group. Oh, I almost forgot that. <laughs> now, now that we're out of con season, I've forgotten everything. Um, geek group. And yes, you can follow us on Instagram at the Comics Hall. All right. All and right. If, you guys, if you guys have a better suggestion for which vampires we should have chosen, we'd love to hear it. We want to we want to know what you guys like. So, <laughs> well, enough vamping, Amy. Let's get to uh the meat and potatoes of our show here. All right. We've got the <laughs> weekly haul for you guys and we've got quite a haul this mm-hmm. week. Uh very very fun stuff coming up. I'm very excited about what we're going to start off with. Once again, our cover story segment where we either quite literally take a look at the covers of a of a special release or just kind of feature uh a book that has multiple covers for a for like a printing or like we explored last week the image reprints but this week we've got a really cool like this is i think the the most worthy of the title of the cover story we are featuring the reprint the entire reprint of the first arc of seven secrets by boom studios now, if yes. you are not following this series, we didn't originally aim the first issue, but I know that we did cover it before in an aim segment. Um, this is an amazing series, a little hard to describe, but basically there are seven incredible secrets mm-hmm. in the world. They are locked in briefcases and they are they are protected by the keepers and the handlers. And so there's someone who holds the briefcase and there is someone who bodyguards the person holding the briefcase Mm -hmm. and if any one of these secrets were to be let out into the world it would cause massive destruction and again like any good secret spy organization they don't uh, they don't permit office uh romances and yet two of the best uh in the business a, a keeper and a holder um have a child and he grows up and decides he wants to join the order and protect the secrets as well and i just it's an amazing story, but what we wanted to feature about it this week is that the entire series is being reprinted, yes. uh, which is six issues so far. The, it's mm-hmm. on a hiatus while they get the first trade ready, and then the next arc will launch, I believe, in April. Yes, um, like second week of April. Yeah, and so as a part of that, they have created a special reprinting cover series. Now, Chris, if we could get that on the screen, it is so cool. And we're going to flash through them really quickly here for Mm -hmm. you. But you can see that is six individual covers for issues one through six. Mm -hmm. And it really gives the sense of the way that this kind of, it reads like a shonen uh, manga. Just that kind of, almost, I want to compare it to like My Hero Academia, just based on the way that they're all jumping kind of here in this this cover panel. But this is, it's so exciting. Um, Really cool reprints. And, And Paul will tell you guys a little bit more about the printings themselves. But I do want to just call out Seven Secrets is by Tom Taylor with art by Danielle DiNiculo and colors by Walter Biamonte. And this is mm-hmm. a Boom Studios series. Yeah. And and this is, again, like Amy was saying, I think this one may have got caught in the, you know, in, I think in, in a moment in time when me and Amy for some reason had did a show and this snuck right under the radar, but this is definitely a book that I think we've both covered at some point, maybe issue three or four, but it, mm-hmm. it's only because it's such a good book. And the reason we're doing it on cover stories, because not only are, the covers so so wonderful but it but they really are you know a good look into what's in the book because there's an energy on these covers that really carries over into the story as well they really do have this fun kinetic energy in every single panel that i think not only does tom taylor pace incredibly well in the story but dina culo uh, does an, an amazing job of in just like 
I don't I don't know, Amy. I don't know if it's just me, but it's like in some of these panels, it's got like a sense of urgency in every panel. Oh, absolutely. It's it's, it's insane. It's almost animated. It, it is the right. closest to feeling like you're reading every frame of an animation. Yeah. Like it just and it and it was originally marketed as like, or at least some of my friends from Boom Studios who work in their like marketing department were saying that it's the best anime you've never watched. Like yes. it's, it's just it's so it's such an engaging story. It's got all the elements of uh just such a fun action espionage fantasy mm -hmm. series and this is your chance if you missed any of any of the issues first of all you can grab one but um just to to get on this series before it slips away from you because this is one of the i think this is one of those ones like for me something is killing the children where it's like you come to it where there's already two trades and you're like oh shoot i wish i had been reading this from the beginning um yeah, oh yeah, and that oh first yeah. that first cover is Caspar alone. He's the main mm -hmm. character. The second one is with his parents, and it's just it the way that it builds. You get by the end, the sixth cover, you get all of the keepers and holders that kind of have an, an important right. name and face. You get the bad guys in there as well, and it's just so much fun. Um, now, this is also really cool because um, Paul, you can help me out here. The first uh, the first issue is in its fifth printing with this cover. So each of these mm -hmm. covers is actually a different printing for that issue. Yes. Um, so the first one is in its fifth printing, right. then two and three are in their third printing, mm -hmm. and then uh, four, five, and six, I believe, are in their second in sec printing. In, in all in their second printing. All so. in their second printing. Yeah, and it was really great. I know, um, you know, Boom Studios does a good job of getting, you know, getting books in the hands of people that want to read it. And this is the, a great example of that, because these are awesome books. I mean, they really should be worth reading. Not only are these covers... Um, great for people like i was saying who haven't read it you can collect it you can catch up and then boom put it in your pool but also for people like me and amy who have been reading it like these are so beautiful i want to just go get all of them yeah seriously and then you can just flip through them real fast like we we had thank you chris for making that uh, yeah for putting that GIF. together man thank you yeah. so much um so yeah that has uh been released today you can go get it at your local comic shop i did see it at mine and they've put them all together very nicely in one long row and it, it looked really really rad so that should be at your local comic shop today as of right now yeah and then if you decide not to get these individual issues which i mean i would highly recommend it uh the trade will be out very soon so you can, yes. you can catch up on that i'm shocked that seven secrets has not been picked up for a film or animation deal yet oh it's it's like. coming I, sure. I i imagine yeah i and it's funny i i i'm not an anime person i don't i've never claimed to be an anime person i oh. know like three maybe <laughs> and one of them is like inuyasha which i think is like one of the biggest most popular ones so you know <laughs> i'm not an expert here but this you know like amy was saying it's as close to reading an anime or that it's almost like someone gave you a storyboard for an anime and they're like, hey, can you flip through this? This is sort of what we're doing. And then you're like, wow, this is wonderful. Oh, right. It's written by Tom Taylor. So right. um, and, and it's wonderful. And, I mean, and Danielle uh, uh, Dinaculo, I can't say enough, like that art in that book is wonderful. And then the color, I mean, everything in that book is wonderful. It just sort of all came together. And I think that's something that happens um, – Sometimes it happens a lot at Boom these days. Yeah. Boom has had the Midas touch as of lately. But it just happens with a book where you're just like, whoa, that was great. Yeah. And, and I want to specify, though, because it also it also sounded weird while we were saying it, but like reading an anime, because most people go, well, wouldn't, wouldn't you think manga? It's a very different – It's it's not – it doesn't read like a manga. It actually reads like an animated shonen series like my hero or one piece kind of like that's that's the best way i can describe it and i think that is in part because of the colors but just you have to read it to see to understand it just has such a kinetic energy to it and that is one of those books that i will immediately float to the top of my pile every week even if i'm mm -hmm. even if i'm like three three weeks behind on some other series i will do seven secrets first because it is such a fast paced and energetic read that it kind of leaves you uh breathless before that or after yeah. it so it's just it's it's so much fun highly recommend that's our cover story for the mm -hmm. week seven secrets one through six go get it go get it you won't regret it go nice. get it you won't regret it there we go that's that right. one of our new uh stinger tags on the we show. own that you tech you guys all saw it if it happens live on the show we own that technically all right <laughs> so uh we are going to now move on to um a segment that you all love we all love very much it is our weekly haul um which 
you know, we do fold like our, you know, our specific, you know, subcategories and stuff like cover story into, but now we're going to be doing the weekly haul, which is our aim segment. And I think Amy, you're up to bat first here. All right. So just a quick refresher for those of you who might be just joining us for the first time. AIM is our three-way uh, anagram system for rating and reviewing books because we don't like numbers. Numbers are harsh and mean something a little different to everybody. And our A, uh, this yeah, there's three different terms we've identified for uh, evaluating each book. A is the accessibility. How easy is it to pick up and read in the terms of finding it at your local store and understanding what the heck is going on. I is the interest. Who would like this? Are there other books you might be reading that would uh, lend you to easily reading and picking up this story? What are your interests? Who's who's the target audience? And then M is the monetary value, or in short, the money. How much does it cost? How many pages are you getting for what it costs? Is there something special about the cardstock? Is there something special about the back material that mm-hmm. may cause the price to change? And that's everything that we think that you need to know to evaluate whether or not you want to pick up one of these books. And as Paul said, I am up first. This one's a little bit of a heftier uh, book this week, so I might yes. spend a little bit more time on this than my other one, if you'll permit me to talk about it. Uh, but this one's a really fun one. This is DC's Love is a Battlefield, number one. This is the, I think, only <laughs> Valentine's Day release that I can think of. Uh, yeah, I didn't see another week. one. Uh, love, love, love that cover going on. We've got Harley and Ivy grappling with a mutant plant and Ivy saying, I told you we should have just stayed in this year. Um, now not every single story is necessarily about a battle, uh, but there is a lot of conflict, of course, because this is about superheroes. Now love is a battlefield has 10 different stories. So I'm not going to list every single creative team. However, I will call out some of the notables. Uh, we've got Cena, Grace, Tim Seeley, Regina Sawyer, Christos Gage, and more on the writing side. We've got Juan Gideon, Hermanico, uh, Rebecca Isaacs, Rob Guillory, and more on the art side. And then for Ooh. colors, uh, we do have some multiple colorist uh, double ups, but we've got uh, Romulo Fajardo Jr., June Chung, Chris Sotomayor, and, and even more. So that almost every team has a complete unique roster though some of the colorists and i think the letterers do uh double dip in some of the stories so the a accessibility how easy is this to pick up first of all there's probably going to be a number of these at your store uh mm-hmm. it is a heftier book both in size and price so your store might not have over ordered as much as they would a normal event book however this should still be plentiful as it is a notoriously large DC release and they do these great anthology stories every now and then. I know they've done Halloween ones as well. And I think they did a um, kind of a horror romance one a year or two ago. Uh, but given the one shot format of every story, they, these are not, you can't, you don't have to have read other series to understand uh, and go into these specific vignettes. It's extremely accessible. Uh, as you guys know, I'm actually not currently reading any current DC apart from Future State, and this has nothing to do with Future State. So I found this very accessible, mostly only understanding or knowing the the cast of characters. Um, there are some stories that take into account recent events in DC history, like the Batwoman Catwoman uh, Bat sorry Batman Catwoman wedding. Uh, Batwoman Catwoman would be a totally different story. Um, Lobo's kid crush is featured in the Red Arrow kid flash story. And there's some more things that are referenced, but it's not detrimental to your understanding of the story. If you haven't caught up on all of that. Um, but it, it's just, it's a lot of fun. I found it very accessible because the stories are, you just got to know that it's superheroes and romance uh, <laughs> going into it. Now, for the eye interest, if you're looking for fun storytelling involving some of your favorite DC Comics characters, chances are at least one of your favorites is in here somewhere. Um, even if you're not a fan of every couple featured, I, I guarantee that, that you're probably going to be surprised more often than not by some of the other stories and you will enjoy it. If, there's, if you are the type of person, though, who only wants to read a Batman Catwoman story, maybe don't pick up the entire book just for the one story um but if you're in it for just a sampling of great talent great characters i think you will take a great interest in it and now this might help uh i've listed out all of the couples that are featured in the anthology uh because the solicitations only mentioned like two or three of them but all of the stories featured are batman catwoman steve trevor and diana prince harley quinn and poison ivy big barda mr miracle nightwing and starfire Amanda Waller and Perry White, Kid Flash and Red Arrow, Hawkman and Hawkwoman, uh, John Stewart and Fatality, and Sergeant Rock. Uh, so this is a um, 
and, and that his is billed as a solo story. So I actually, I didn't get a chance to read every single one of these stories before. Um, but his is, I don't know in what context the romance is in his, but, uh, before the show, I did read, uh, bat cat wonder woman. I read the Harley Ivy and the miracle man, uh, or Mr. Miracle, geez, Louise, Miracle Man's Marvel. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Miracle, Big Barda. I abbreviated MM, and my brain was like, the word miracle's in there somewhere. Um, <laughs> so I read four of the stories before the show, and I enjoyed pretty much all of them. Um, the the Bat Cat and Harley Ivy were like way standout. Uh, the book does open up on Batman Catwoman. Um, just extremely strong stories, and I loved them. But it is important to note that not all of the stories are straight up schmoopy romance. In fact, very few of them are schmoopy romance. Um, there's lovers quarrels. There's awkward exes as you're bound to be with the Teen Titans, Nightwing, and Starfire. Uh, and then there's some team ups about people who are kind of will they, won't they. Um, so it's a lot of fun going on there. Uh, and then the M, the big question, how much does this sucker cost? This is a $9.99 issue. This is 10 bucks. But it is 80 pages. There are 10 stories. Oh, so that's that is eight pages each. It is uh no fluff, no filler. It is just straight up anthology, one after the other. It's a big ask. So mm -hmm. if you are a if if you are I mean, if you're on the fence, I'd say flip through it and maybe check out, look at one of the stories if you can, if you're at a local store. Uh, otherwise, I think you can check out some previews. Um but it's a, it's, it is a big commitment, but I thought it was well worth it. It's so fun. It's a lot of standalone stuff. So I don't feel like I'm like, oh, I spent $10 and I have to get some other stuff and I didn't understand what was going on. I just thought it was so much fun. And the variety and quality of the storytelling, it just, it just made it an easy buy for me. This is a Valentine's Day comic book, which we don't get a whole lot of. And it's just a lot of fun. And uh, I mean, I'm a sucker for Rebecca Isaacs because she did Angel and Faith with, um, oh, right. with Dark Horse. <laughs> Uh, Tim Seeley was in it. The the Harley Ivy story is just a really, really sweet one. And that one's actually really fun because it is almost a series entirely of pinups uh, with narration and then a couple of panel, a page with panels at the end. But it's just brilliant, beautiful pinups. Um, the Rob Guillory one is the uh, Mr. Miracle Big Barda. So that one's pretty funny. You get the fighting, uh, the female furies. Um a lot of funny action in that one. And then just the, the Batman Catwoman was your essential Batman caper uh with a lot of villains in the wedding of maxi zeus so that's the romance oh, nice. that's the romance going on there so it's it's just a lot of fun it's a really big ask but it is a it is a really really big entertainment value um and i didn't even get to finish before the whole show because i didn't want to i didn't want to spend my entire time reading the whole thing in one sitting it is something that i can pace out now i've got some extra i've got six more chapters i can check out after the show right which is a perfect uh, segue into a question we have for you, Amy, from the Let Your Geek Set Show Facebook group uh, from Crystal Moore asking, is there a comic storyline that made you cry? I'm, I'm assuming in Love is a Battlefield, uh, like totally broke you. If so, which one was it? Oh, jeez. Um, <laughs> now, Amy will have a chance to read all of them to find the one that's going to break her. Um, I will say, though, the Harley Ivy one did get me a little bit at the end. I was like, oh, no, because that story is called The Beginning and they it's them recounting how they first met. But then the twist at the end is just, it's, that one was really emotional. That was the most explicitly emotional one I had. I'm not a huge crier at comics. However, if I can go broad term general, right. uh, Jason Aaron's Thor run made me cry like on the regular. Mm. Uh, when we got to those final few issues, that was one of those. And the ending of The Wicked and Divine made me cry as well. But oh, nice. uh, Love is a Battlefield, I didn't find any exceptional tearjerkers. However, the Harley Quinn and Ivy one is a little more sentimental uh, than most of the other ones. So it was like. That was really good. Uh, but in terms of in terms of broke me, that's that's usually reserved for series I've been following for years and years. And that was Thor and the Wicked and the Divine. Just yeah. lost it. Just lost my mind. <laughs> yeah, I've I've only ever like been choked up like again from following Jeff Johns' Green Lantern run for so long. And then when you know Hal Jordan and Sinestro are saying he's like that's the problem Jordan we were always friends I was like oh, oh. after years of them like being at war and then like oh I'm not gonna spoil it but it's been out for a long time but yeah that's as close as I's ever as I've ever gotten so very similar to Amy and and I'm the same way it's like if I'm invested not only fiscally invested but emotionally invested after years and years it tends to break us a little bit <laughs> yeah just a little bit and then before we move on from Instagram Groot Lover 
132 wants to know, do you prefer Harley Quinn or Poison Ivy? Now, I'm assuming that could be answered by both of us. Do you want to answer on three, Amy, of who we prefer? Sure. Okay, ready? One, two, three. Poison, Poison Ivy. Ivy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. I would have oh, thought yeah. you preferred Harley. <laughs> nope. I, I, I much more enjoy Poison Ivy than However, Harley. like – I love Harley's animated series and that has completely turned me around on the character. I just felt like she was one of those characters who it's like, I don't get into her as much because of how, how prevalent she is. Um, and I feel that Ivy like hasn't had as much focus. And so I like get really excited where I can find Ivy stories, but I just yeah. love the character. Um, my first exposure to poison <laughs> Ivy was Batman and Robin. So um I don't know what that tells you about me, but I was like, oh, oh the, the Uma Thurman? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I with love the fake that. lips. More than that was the leaf eyebrows. But as oh, a character, I just really like her. I also really like green characters in general. So if you know my track record with with Ivy and She Hulk and such. Also um, undefeated in green characters for panel of the week. So thank you. Um but but I have no I have no ill will towards Miss Harley Quinn. I just as right. a character, I like the scientist uh ivy more but i do i do love when we get to explore more of harley's um psychologist side so like bird and in birds of prey when she got to like psychoanalyze people (laughs) just as an aside yeah it's great oh mm, good stuff yeah i love where both of those characters are right now because they because if you are new to comics um you know me and amy can tell you and anyone who's been reading comics for a while can tell you harley and ivy their current storylines, the sort of personalities that they have, it has not always existed. Mm -hmm. Um, They've sort of been mainly, you know, one's been a sidekick more so or less. um, And one's just really been um, in Batman's rose gallery who seems to pop up from time to time. But now you need an (laughs) eco-terrorist. Right. Actually, I don't like the word terrorist. I'm actually trying to do the right thing. (laughs) That's from the, the Harley Quinn animated show. But Amy, that's one book we've gotten through. So I know. I'm sorry. It was a We're big doing one. Great. No, it was great. I, <laughs> I loved, I actually, uh, I love all of these, you know, 999 books. I picked up most of them. I think this one I didn't, I haven't gotten yet. I was just like, Oh man, I've got so much to read. And the cybernetic summer that DC mm. did as well. So it, DC tends to do a lot of these books as well. Um, so if you like your reading in mass, definitely want to pick up love as a battlefield. Yeah. All, All right. right, Paul, what do you got for us? <laughs> well, um, so I am going to be aiming a a book that I, I'll be honest, I didn't really know that much about, which is why I tend to steer towards particular books. I am going to aim Morbius, Bond of Blood, of course, by Marvel Comics, written by Ralph Macchio, the comic book Ralph Macchio, and art by Dom Riley and colors by Chris O'Halloran. Um, and bef- right before we go into this, Jazz was kind enough to ask everyone um sort of in theme also with our panel of the week um what their favorite comic book vampire was and the answers we got were jubilee blade of course vampirella and marvel's dracula yeah those are very those are it's four right okay yeah that is four very different answers and i kind of love that i love blade and i also i don't really have that much exposure to marvel's dracula outside of like jason aaron's run now so Mm -hmm. um Thank you, everyone, for commenting. And yes, we love all of those as well. The funny thing is when you said Marvel's Dracula specifically, it made me think of that very famous Moon Knight of like, where's my money, you nerd? Um, <laughs> where's my but money, But it made me also nerd. realize that the that Dracula in the Buffy comics also owes Spike money. So I want right, to yes. know what the lore is that Dracula like $15. owes a lot of people money. <laughs> I And I, I, Amy's a much bigger Buffy fan than I am. I only know this because Autumn, who a lot of you will know from other various things, is also a huge Buffy fan and would constantly tell me that that is one of her favorite stories is that um, I guess Dracula owes Spike like $15. And so he's got this blood feud against him <laughs> <laughs> over a book, I think. Wonderful. So, uh, yes, I am going to aim Morbius Bond of Blood. Again, this is... Um, I believe it, it it fell into the chasm of possibly this was going to be released closer to the Sony film, the Morbius film. But, you know, of course, things happen, but they still wanted to release it. And I'm glad they did, because it, there is a lot in this book that I think is really important for old and new fans. So this is uh, so getting right into the aim, the A, the accessibility. It's a true number. It's it's honestly it feels like a true number. It's not a true number one, but it is a number one. The um 
and it is a one shot, which is important to know when reading the story because I didn't know that. And I was like, wow, this wrapped up very strangely, but it didn't because it's a one shot and Ralph Macho ended it just the way that he should have ended it. And so I probably should have just like read this listation before. So you should also be able to find this at your local comic book shop pretty easily. And it is on Comixology right now. So now getting into what I think is the biggest part of my notes here is the eye, the interest for this book. I'll be, be completely honest with you. I am not the world's biggest Morbius fan. To be quite frank, sometimes I still call him Morpheus on accident. And <laughs> it happens because I've also done that on a show where I called Morpheus Morbius. It happens. It's an honest mistake. And I've I've learned from it. But uh, it's he's not a character that's really ever been, you know, in my view for whatever reason. I think maybe because I also don't read too much Spider-Man. I, do, I wouldn't really have... You know, not that he's exclusively a Spider-Man villain. He's he's a great standalone character, but he's just never really crossed over into a lot of the books that I read. But I thought that Ralph Macchio did an awesome job with treating this book as something that people who are like me, who don't really know that much Morbius, can appreciate, pick up, and still get a feel for the character and all of like that emotional baggage that uh, Michael Morbius carries because there's a lot of it. And uh, so again, this book, I'm going to be qu you know quite honest, doesn't reinvent the character. It doesn't add you know incredible amounts to the lore. But what Machio does with the book is he takes things that are pretty established and he does a really 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 good job of sort of cementing them and giving you the tone and texture of what Michael Morbius's life is like. And there is some, you know, origin story in here. If you really aren't familiar with it, again, I think this book, this book was supposed to come out around the same time as the movie, which would have been perfect, but it still lands well now, I think. So, and then also, um, Riley and O'Halloran do a great job of really capturing like the tone and like the drabness of what Michael Morbius's life is like. Um, a lot of those scenes pair really nicely with all of like the exposition that we get from Michael Morbius. Cause there's again, a lot of it. He's a vampire. So he loves, you know, he loves to rant. And so we love it, but it's a, uh, it, it's, it's quite a bit sometimes. And they do a great job of sort of keeping the pacing of it. And I really just, again, I'm a newer reader to Morbius. I thought it was really, really fun. If you are a fan of sort of reimagined, retold origin stories of characters, this is a great book to pick up. If you are an old Morbius fan, a new Morbius fan, definitely pick it up. It is out right now. And it's only, it's only $3.99. It's a one shot. It's 32 pages, all comic. Uh, it's not all comic. There's, there's one or two ads in there, but this also pairs really nicely because there was a Morbius epic collection, the living vampire trade that came out today as well. If you really wanted to get, you know, more, you know, more Mobius mo, mo problems, right? I think <laughs> is that, is that what Amy, that's what Amy says constantly. Mo so Mobius is a completely different Mobius oh, right. is a mo comic book artist. <laughs> I am never going to get his name right. And I am so sorry. <laughs> if you guys I, do want to hear the first time that Paul called oh. Morbius Morbius, you can check that out on his uh, incredible run on uh, Strike a Pose hosted by Terry Smith. I'm I'm glad that I said that after I had won. Spoiler, um, because they would have not let me be on the show. <laughs> that was one of my favorite, one of my favorite strike pose moments in the history of the show. Also, a testament to the incredible editing skills of our uh, multimedia team. Just the humor of it all. So you, yeah, you can all shame Paul. Now, I do want to bring a, uh, attention to a point that you said about how you felt that it wrapped up weirdly until you realized it was a one shot. I had the same problem. Yes, you did. I had the same problem when I read. I want to say it was Widow's Sting. Um, by Ralph Macchio as well, another mm. one shot they had him do uh, sometime last year, kind of probably as a means to tie in or in uh, introduce people to the character when the Black Widow movie was on track uh, to release. So that is an important thing for readers to realize. And, and as we do our best to give you the news, um, make sure if, if you're getting a one shot, make sure you understand that it's a one shot. Because <laughs> sometimes one shots, they resolve perfectly for a one off tale. But if you're expecting more issues, you're like, what the heck was that? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I think that's interesting that we both had the same problem before realizing. Because I thought, I thought Widow's Sting was a was a five issue miniseries as well. <laughs> so I don't know what I. <laughs> so sometimes even the best of us uh, 
and Paul and myself can screw up. <laughs> so constantly all I do it all the time. So yeah, don't, <laughs> you know, don't be afraid to take that first step into screwing up. <laughs> all right. Uh, Amy. I was going to say adventure time. Isn't it the first step to being really good at something is, is sucking or sucking is the first step to being really good. <laughs> Anyways, I was trying to make an adventure time reference to segue myself into my next aim, but it didn't work. Wonderful. Anyways, my next title is orcs. Number one. Uh, this is a fun little release from the boom studios imprint kaboom. Uh, so like kaboom. I, like I mentioned to you guys, when I, uh, did Spectre Inspectors a couple of weeks ago. That was from the Boom Box imprint. And Boom Studios has a, a bevy of different imprints under their main title. Uh, so they have the Boom Studios uh, label, which is the, the main one. They've got Boom Box, which is their experimental. They've got Archaea, which uh, is kind of more fantasy geared. And then they've got Kaboom, which is their younger readers imprint. But I say comic books are for everybody. And even if it's a young reader book, you can find some enjoyment in this. Uh, so this was written drawn and colored by Christine Larson. Uh, and a, a for accessibility, this is a true number one, which is what we say on this series for an independent title usually uh, that requires absolutely no prior reading. You will not know these characters beforehand. Everything that the story needs you to know will be presented to you in the first issue. It is a true number one. This is your ultimate starting point. Um, and as I mentioned, this is geared towards younger readers, but I found it extremely enjoyable. It's a fun fantasy story that takes uh, the typical monsters and makes them the center of the tale. It makes them the heroes. Uh, the book has great world building and humor, but it does it is extremely accessible to a younger reader as well. Or as I can imagine, I didn't find any concepts uh, being like, wow, that's really going to go over some heads. Uh, there's some story in story narrative and just... The character designs are so much fun. Um, if you are watching live, you can see the cover or you can see my background behind me. If you are listening on the podcast, check out side, uh, sideshow.com slash geek for our blog coverage. We will post up the covers and all of the visual images that you might have missed um, from the recording. But you can see that the orcs are not the traditional really mean looking characters. I mean, they look mischievous and they look a little monstrous, but they are a lot softer and rounder and very, very cute. Um, and I'm speaking as someone who orcs are, orcs are my favorite. I mean, the Lord of the Rings orcs are my favorite. I will always pick a half orc in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> like I love orcs and I don't know why. Um, I think it's because they're big and strong and that means they're good for hugging. Uh, but just, I, it's, it's so much fun. So it's a fun little story. Um, and in terms of, I don't want to give away too much of the story, but I do have the official solicit text, um, that I kind of edited a little bit. But after being banished from banished from their village by King Prograga, um, this book is full of those fun names, for a prank-related misunderstanding, the orc Bog and his crew Zep, Pez, Utsu, and Gur have to go out into the world and seek their fortune, following in the footsteps of the legendary hero Drawed One Eye. And I thought this was super cute. Their adventure takes them to the dreaded and it looks like a it looks like a normal fantasy word, but when you say it out loud, it's the Eria's All Hell Forest, <laughs> and so it is it is spelled Eria's All Hell. Uh, that that might be the only joke that goes over a child's head, but um, they they take their adventures into the Eria's All Hell Forest. They are scared of the elves and the uh, creatures that live inside, and the first story involves uh, an incident with some squirrels. But uh, it's just a lot of fun. And in terms of interest, uh, if you're a Dungeons & Dragons fantasy fan, if you've got a younger reader who, who also might like Dungeons & Dragons or Critical Role, uh, this is a must-read. Also, um, Christine Larson worked on the Adventure Time comics. So if you've got a fan of Adventure Time or the Adventure Time comics um, or someone who enjoys the regular show or the show Bravest Warriors, I think this is extremely, incredibly up their alley. It's very fun. Uh, just well-meaning humor. It doesn't punch down. It's not mean-spirited. It's just very, very silly antics with a band of orcs as the heroes. And I just, I thought it was so delightful. Um, and in terms of the M, the monetary value, it is $4.99, but it is 32 story pages. And when I say story nice. pages, that means not including the back material and any advertisements that might be in it for other Boom Studios series. Uh, so it's slightly larger than an average book, which is usually they... Normal comics hovered about 24 pages of story when you take out all the filler. Um, and it's a five-issue miniseries, but every mm -hmm. it is billed as every issue features over 30 pages of story. And I did verify that the second issue also costs $4.99, so you can expect every book will be 32 pages of story. Every book will be about $4.99. It's just a very fun little series, and I don't know if the adventure that they start in the first issue will carry them through the whole 
uh, story. I can't imagine they're going to be fighting with squirrels for five issues, but uh, I'm sure that there will be like like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign, a series of incidents, and I'm sure that they will meet the elves of the Eria's All Hell Forest. Uh, I'm not going to stop saying that. It's so funny when I when I was like, that's a really weird word that I said it out loud. And it was like, oh, that's so cute. Um, but orcs, orcs is one of those comic series that I just think it's like a candy. It's like a candy treat. So you've got your like, you've got your meat and potatoes. You've got the meal mm-hmm. you have to eat every week because you've subscribed to that meal. Uh, but then there are the little candy dishes that you're like, this is light. It won't end the world. It's not going to cross over with anything big. It's not going to change the trajectory of my favorite series forever. Uh, it's just a self-contained, nothing but fun adventure from uh, powerhouse Christine Larson on mm-hmm. writing art and colors. Nice. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it looks so much fun. I think just by the image, the solicitation uh, itself, and the uh, and cover A there, I was like, I'm sold. I picked it up as well. It's it looks it's like so much fun. They look like they're about to get into a bunch of shenanigans. Yeah, that's exactly also, what happens, and they're so cute. <laughs> also, finally getting some squirrel representation. I've been missing some squirrels in my comics. Yeah, since Squirrel Girl went uh, mm-hmm. went out to pasture it's it's been a squirrel free landscape for a while <laughs> yeah they were you know trying to push make make thanos look too strong they can't have him beating her up all the time <laughs> her beating him up all the time right 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 <laughs> um, um sorry and then uh jasmine uh for who for the moderating uh or the question uh this is 4.99 and yes. and i've confirmed that issue two will be 4.99 every issue is being billed as over 30 pages so it is likely to be uh, four ninety nine, four ninety nine for the entire five issue miniseries for each issue of the five issue miniseries nice. from Kaboom, Kaboom it! All right, everyone. So I'm going to move over to our last aim review of uh, of the show, and also my last one here. So I took a look at and I read uh, Radiant Black number one by Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins, art by uh, Marcelo Costa, and letters by Becca Carey. So. The pitch here is Nathan Burnett has just turned 30, and honestly, things are not going great for him. He is a uh, at one point successful. I know I'm so sorry about my dogs, everyone. They, <laughs> I, I, I'm this how the home is under attack and by the evil mailman. I, I assume so. But we've got Nathan. <laughs> so sorry. Nathan Burnett, who is who has just moved back home with his parents after at one point he had a real brief stint at being a successful writer and is now a no longer successful writer, has moved back home and shenanigans ensue and he is imbued with the power radiant. It's a cosmic power and there is just so much in the story that I love, uh, but I will let me get right into the aim of all of this. So as far as the accessibility, again, another true number one here. You don't need to know anything before getting back into this. This is the first time that you guys have ever seen this character. Also by Kyle Higgins, who a character that does origin stories pretty well, if I may say so myself. So, and it should also be pretty readily available at your local comic shop, unless it's my local comic shop, which uh, I had went like two hours late and it had already sold out. But a lot of shops do have plenty of the cover A, and I think there's like six or seven other covers. So you should be able to find it pretty readily. And also it is on Comixology right now. So you can find it there. Now moving into the eye, the interest here. There, there really, really are a number of different um, properties that I could say like this is very similar to because it is a superhero story. So unfortunately, I think anytime anyone creates an, a brand new original superhero story, it's automatically like, oh, it's just like this thing. It's just like this thing, which good or I mean, that's good or bad. It, I mean, I guess depending on what it's compared to, but I, I would say just to sort of get it out of the way, it's very similar to like a Green Lantern origin story where this power sort of finds this person you have no idea where it it came from uh did it find him was he always destined to find it um and that's where sort of the comparisons end but (laughs) i can say this by far might be the most relatable superhero origin story that like any publisher has written in a long time um and you know between you know myself and amy we read a lot of books with superheroes in them and some of them are very peculiar. So they're very interesting. This one is very. This one is very relatable. He is a, you know, mid thirties something um, writer who works for now essentially like Uber, 
to help pay off his credit card and student loans and all sorts of other things. And he's just trying to get his next project off the ground. And all of that is completely thrown aside as soon as, you know, he discovers the power radiant or the cosmic power radiant. Um, and it's really fun. I, I so I, I'm skipping a little bit ahead here to the end, but it's about 32 pages and it is approximately, I'd say probably 29 to 30 pages of just comic. The last two pages are actually a letter column or the back matter. I don't always recommend this, but maybe read that first and then go back and read the story. Because after reading Kyle Higgins' uh, letter column, honestly, I was way, like the story was way more touching because this is such a personal story for him. Uh, he is always sort of written on books where he felt like he, you know, front these, these are, you know, his words, you know, kind of summarized here that he felt like he could do maybe a little differently. He didn't like certain parts of it because he felt maybe it was a, a generation behind. And this story does a really great job of bringing, you know, that same, some of the tropes that we've come to learn and love about, you know, what an origin story should look like for a superhero. Honestly, I think so many of them have, you know, again, have tropes where, you know, it's, they're not always, tropes get a bad rap. They're, they're there they for do. a reason, but they do help cement and set up a story that needs to be told. And, you know, one of the tropes here that is great, that Kyle Higgins does an amazing job of, is really set up the supporting cast that uh, Nathan Burnett, who is our main character, has. Like, his... Uh, Kyle Higgins just knocked this one out of the park. And I'm assuming that Nathan Burnett, again, our main character, his parents, his best friend, his hometown, a lot of this is very close to his heart. So he's just writing what he knows. And he has written, um, he's written Power Rangers. He's written for Marvel. He's written for DC. So he understands the superhero dynamic, but bringing it, you know, to the 21st century is is very apparent you can tell that it was very important to him to tell a story that like he could see himself uh playing mm -hmm. and it, it was honestly it's so great it's such a fun story and uh marcella costa and does an incredible job on the art of also capturing like a good small town feel when there's there's a flashback it feels like a flashback and marcella costa also did the um the colors as well on a lot of this and I really, really wanted to shout out, um, oh no, where'd it go? There we go. Uh, Becca Carey's lettering, because she did an awesome job in conveying, like, just way, like the way that everything would be lettered when he's like talking under his breath and he didn't want people oh, to know. Oh, those are my favorite types of it's like lettering a, effects. It, that... It's a whole letter bubble, but the words are so small in it. And just the inner monologue and it you really get also a feel of the flow and sort of the dialect of where nathan burnett comes from and again a lot of that is becca carey so she did an awesome job on this book with just lettering and uh we like to say you know lettering and uh sometimes it, it's the unsung hero of the books but we we like to sing those praises because they work so hard and they do so much work and yeah so she did a great job on this book and nine times out of ten you notice the lettering because it's not good you'll you'll yeah, you'll be taken exactly. out and notice specifically mm -hmm. if it's hard to read or something is totally. is strange or like when i find a typo which happens to everybody like it throws me off but the the mark of a good letterer is the way in which you are able to better read and appreciate the story and like you said the the tones of voice and the way that the characters are speaking mm -hmm. and most of the time you don't process that as you're reading you're not going like wow this is some real good lettering this is some cuz you're mostly focusing on the art right. that is facilitated by the lettering but so so it is important to remember that instead of going instead of recognizing a letterer when something is off and weird and it's hard to read when they do a great job and i i love i love those things when it's like you make the make the letters really small or or the the 
quality of the tale changes based on how the mm-hmm. person's voice is saying it. It's hard for me to explain because I'm not a letterer. Yeah. But, um, there, there's even a really fun bit. I, I'm Again, I'm not going to spoil this and we are definitely running out of time, but there's a real, like where I was, I kind of put the book down and I was like, huh, that was really cool. Was there's a <laughs> moment where Nathan Burnett is very sober and his friend is very drunk. And so his friend who's very drunk, the bubbles are all, wonky and they're all over the place and the nathans are very stylized and organized it's just a really small cool touch that again because we read so many books like we start to notice these things but we really hope that everyone watching also notices those things because those people tend to be super nice and they are super accessible and they love uh what they do and even though again sometimes it's the unsung aspect so Mm -hmm. that is radiant black by image comics Go pick it up. It's really, 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 really good. I, I promise you. It's a, it's a good week. I mean, yeah. I and I any week that we get a Valentine's Day special is a good week. Uh, but just always be always be checking out those independent series, guys, because those are that's where you find the most hidden gems. And mm-hmm. uh, wish oh. we could cover every single book for you all the time. But just <laughs> hopefully with these tools, you are able to bravely go into the comic book marketplace whether it is a physical mm-hmm. store or the digital landscape and and better assess uh what you are interested in totally. now uh we did have uh one more segment really quick we will cover our holler at the hall which is where we ask you guys a question uh usually a bit of a brain tickler or a head scratcher uh, but we want to hear from you guys so last week we asked what fictional comic book city would you want to live in and as we joked there's a lot of fictional cities that I'm sure come to mind as places you absolutely don't want to live in. <laughs> absolutely not. Stay the hell away. I mean, I can't think of anyone whose first choice would be Gotham. Nope. Or uh, Stillwater or Comfort Notch or the place where all those kids are getting killed and something is killing the children. Like, mm-hmm. There's a lot of no- notorious comic book spaces like that. Uh, but you guys did uh, chime in with some uh, responses of places you would want to, would want to move and mm-hmm. Honestly, we agree. These are great choices. Uh, so the most common uh, or most popular popular uh, and populous responses, since you're all moving <laughs> in, uh, we got the Salem Center. We've got mm-hmm. Salem Center for the X-Mansion. I mean, I wouldn't blame you. They've all moved to Krakoa now, though. So if you're there for the X-Men, I mean, you can you probably hang out in the mansion, but uh, <laughs> no one's home. Uh, we also had Atlantis and Metropolis. Right. Um, and specifically, it was Marvel's Atlantis, I believe. Oh, okay. Yeah, specifically. Um, I mean, they're they're very different. They're very, very different Atlantises. But specifically, this was Marvel's Atlantis. Oh, okay. Interesting. Now, before we move on, Amy, where would you want to live? Where are you moving this, to? I don't think this comes as any surprise to anybody, but I'm picking Asgardia um, more specifically than Asgard, because Asgardia is the earthbound version of Asgard when it fell from the sky, uh, landed in Broxton, Oklahoma, and then Tony Stark helped refurbish it into a tiny modernized technological megacity. Uh, and then it ha- and then they moved it to the moon. And then it kind of got destroyed in the sun, but that's neither here nor there. Um, I would love to see Asgardia in its prime, kind of hovering between Earth and the moon, uh, just a beautiful little golden Asgard uh, city. <laughs> I, th- I thought I thought that it's it's so fun and all of Russell Dodderman's drawings of it, especially I think he drew it the most out of every artist. But uh, just it's such a beautiful little technopolis yeah. that combines uh, kind of the MCU version of Asgard with the uh, classic comic book version. Totally, yeah, it's beautiful. And what about you, Paul? So mine was a little different. <laughs> it's not as um, I wouldn't call it a tech, you know, like a beautiful technopolis place, but. Um, I don't even think there's a Cinnabon there, but I would move into nowhere specifically from um, Tyler Jenkins, Boom Studios book, King of Nowhere. Uh, That is very, very specific. If you aren't familiar with it, it's uh, a really weird place, basically, where all your weird imaginations and your dreams go to live and thrive. So I would really want to live there. And it's it's not as um, ubiquitous where I can just tell everyone like, yeah, you know, I would just do all those things. It's very strange. But this is a perfect plug because you should go read King of Nowhere from Boom Studios. And then you'll know exactly what I mean and why I want to live there. All right. Good, good response, Paul. Now, we do have a new question for you guys. Mm-hmm. It will also be posted on our social channels and in the let you 
uh, the Let Your Geek Side Show Facebook group. Uh, so you guys can chime in there, or you can always answer us at the Comics Hall at sideshow.com email or yes. at the Comics Hall on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. This week, we're going a little musical. We want to know who is your favorite band in comics. Now, we are taking this from the perspective of a fictional band that exists in the, in the world of comic books. Now, some of these fictional bands have real, genuine music attached to them. Now, um, I'll explain more next week, but DC has put out, or not DC officially, but the creative teams behind Black Canary have put out some music to tie into the Black Canary band. I believe there was one single recorded for uh, the Mary Janes, at least, uh, but... <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats, the Archies, like kind of, or actually I think the Archies are the real band, but um, anything you guys can think of, who's your favorite stage act, band, musician, uh, anything in comics? Uh, and if and if you have musical references, please provide links. I'd love to listen please. to them. Please. But uh, yeah, so that that is what we will leave you guys with for next week. That'll be featured on our uh, February 17th show. Give us your best bands. Uh, I'm sure everybody's missing music gigs right about now. So we'll, oh, we'll yes. relive some of that nostalgia through the pages. But I think that's it for now. I think that about wraps it up. Um, did I already do a vamping joke? I did, right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, okay, so then, then we're, we've, we've met all our, our legal requirements today. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it is time to uh, twilight this episode. That was a really weird and bad and not good <laughs> vampire joke. That was um, great. I'm glad we're you. recording this. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's that's not going to be used to shame me later. But thank you guys so much for watching. Hope you guys get a chance to pick up those Seven Secrets covers. Incredible. Check out uh, Love is a Battlefield and all the other titles we mentioned mm -hmm. today. Uh, get your Valentine's Day fix. Stay, stay, uh, stay safe. Have fun. Thank you guys for joining us. We'll see you next week. And as always, I'm Amy. And I'm Paul. And this has been The Comics Hall. This has been The Comics Hall with Amy and Paul, presented by Sideshow. Submit your response to our fan mail question of the week by emailing thecomicshall at sideshow.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, don't forget to vote on the panel of the week in the Let Your Geek Sideshow official Facebook group. You can watch us live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on Sideshow's official Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, and Periscope channels. And you can keep in touch with our show on social media at The Comics Hall on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, don't forget to let your geek side show. Yeah.